0: Hello, and welcome to the very first episode of the Emerging Grower Podcast. Every episode will focus on bringing together growers and ag tech professionals to help accelerate conversations between the two fields in the agriculture industry. This podcast is energized by Grand Farm, which is enabling technology to feed the world by facilitating collaboration on innovations, solving some of the world's largest challenges in agriculture technology. My name is Cameron McNabb, And i'm a member of the grand farm team who is helping facilitate this podcast in this month's episode we have sarah lovas and mark watney discussing the overall state of ag tech sarah works for gk technology as an agronomist salesman and precision agriculture consultant mark is a fourth generation farmer he grows a variety of crops including wheat corn barley soybeans and many more he currently works for the north dakota farmers union and is the union's ninth president. We hope you enjoy this interview that we recorded during our Autonomous Nation conference a couple weeks ago at Microsoft's campus in Fargo, North Dakota. We hope you not only enjoy the conversation between Sarah and Mark, but also gain valuable insight in the world of agriculture.
1: Well, hello. Uh, my name is Sarah Lovis. I'm a farmer and an agronomist um, and a precision agriculture um, person from Hillsboro, North Dakota. Um, I do farm up there. I raise uh, wheat, corn, soybeans, malting barley, and this year sunflowers for the first time ever.
2: Well, hello. My name is Mark Watney. I'm service president of North Dakota Farmers Union. Uh, I too farm. I'm up by the Belva area, which is near mine at North Dakota. Uh, we're quite a diverse farm. Uh, we we don't have any livestock, but we grow from canola to wheat to oats to sunflowers to soybeans to corn. Um, just a little bit of everything. Um, we still have quite a bit of focus on uh, wheat, and of course soybeans are coming in, and we you know kind of grow corn for uh, being part of the system, but it's it's not quite as good there as some of the other crops at this time.
1: So mark what kind of what kind of technologies do you currently use on on your farm or do you do you do a lot of egg tech on your farming operation how 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 are you incorporating stuff yeah.
2: Well, you know we really are doing quite a bit uh, I wouldn't say we're the most advanced, but we're using quite a bit. We do a little bit of work with uh, with drones doing a little mapping, not a lot obviously we we do gather a fair amount of data and we do just a little bit of mapping with it we're We're struggling a little bit with trying to find how. Um, we take all that information and make it relevant to what were decisions are made, that we need to make. Um, probably the biggest area is is really comes back to the GPS and the controlling of, of making sure we're seating relatively straight, uh, eliminating overlap, uh, you know, no doable applications. Uh, I found it quite interesting when we went from the, the simple light bar where we steered by a green light to where now the tractor is basically controlled except for the end. The good news is, though, is we were able to eliminate uh, one sixty-foot pass when we went to the light bar, and then we went to two sixty-foot pass less <laughs> on every field. Which you laugh, but in some respect, it's it saved deal. us the application inputs on seven dollars an acre, or seven acres for all them dollars. So uh, it's really a return on investment is what we look at, and, and of course, we're using uh, agronomists and we're using uh, people that have special applications. So uh, we're continuously lowering our input costs due to the fact that we have precision agriculture.
1: Oh, that's a big deal. And, you know, um, and in, in the course of, of, I'll tell you a little bit about how we're using some technologies on our farm here in a second, too. But I, when I'm working with different farmers in an agronomy capacity um, and in a precision agriculture consulting capacity, I find that every farm is a little bit different. And that's OK. Um, there's, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that um, because it's all about trying to figure out, every farm in and to itself outside of ag tech has always been individual and unique Um, before ag tech was ever part of agriculture. So it's always trying to figure out how, how we can find that place where technology and agriculture can really enhance that particular farming operation into that particular farming operations culture. So I think that's, I think that's really great. Um, And in our farming operation, um, how, how, well, my background is a, in agronomy has largely been based in soil science. And then I always had a, a pretty big interest in precision agriculture and how we put data layers together. And so years ago, I started using um, a computer software platform um, called ADMS from GK technology, which really does allow us to put together different data layers. And so I do put together, um, you know, yield data, satellite imagery um, you can use various data if you take drone data we can incorporate that you can have multiple data layers to put it together and so really i've spent a lot of time behind the computer actually trying to figure out how to make that work so we can we can make good decisions and then turn that into action for doing prescriptions the irony of the situation um where we farm in the red river valley um i i have zoned out and precision soil sampled probably the entire farm, but I have found that not every single field requires it every year. and so I have actually changed some of my practices there a little bit um, but it's interesting because it does help me understand where we really need to be investing different different inputs so it's it's been great from that standpoint um. But I also wanted to bring up your point about um, the, the overlap and, and the cutting down on the passes. So many farmers, I think they, they get into the tractor cab and they just, they enjoy the auto steer component of it because you think it makes things so user-friendly and easy. And it does, it does expand the day. It allows farmers to farm at night when the sun goes down. Um, but at the same time, it cuts down on the overlap. It cuts down on the inefficiencies. Um, so it does make us better farmers. Um, and I just, I always laugh because I think about the hired man who's doing tillage and he gets in and the auto steer breaks or something. He calls over the radio, the auto steer broke. What do I do? <laughs> and you come back and you say, it's okay. Grab the wheel.
2: <laughs> yeah, it, it, it is so true because uh, I, I remember when I started learning the systems and my hardest thing for adjustment, and, and you may not think of this as, is not a farmer, but you had an automatic attention to reach up and grab the steering wheel after you turned, just out of habit. And of course, when you grab the steering wheel, it, it's nothing bad happens except it kicks the auto steer out for that moment until you re. And and it was so frustrating because if you just left the steering wheel alone, you're way better than trying to do that automatic thing. So it was a huge step. Uh, but there is other things. I mean, uh, a lot of times you forget the genetics. I mean, uh, uh, we're pretty much. Uh, early adopters of new genetics. We, we really like that. And that technology is just on the verge of some great, great advances. Uh, next thing is, is simply uh, going from a, what we call the old chisel plow or the old, old plow to a vertical tillage unit, which uh, in itself levels out the soil a little bit and allows for the, the uh, organic matter to be spread substantially more uniform so that we can go through there in the one pass after it without uh, uh, disturbing the soil so much, so losing some of the soil health. Uh, those things are, are somewhat taken for granted in the technology world, but they're, they're huge advancements, and uh, they're making uh, us way more conservationists in the sense of restoring moisture, soil health, um, you know, keeping some organic matter in the land, stopping the land from the ability to be drift a little bit. So those technologies we take a little bit for granted, but they're huge steps forward in trying to make our farms more efficient.
1: And I am really excited about the advancements precision agriculture tillage. Um, I think it's gonna be just so neat. You know, of course we're all trying to move towards a, a place where we have reduced to no tillage just because we're trying to do the best job that we possibly can out there wherever it's possible. Um but with the advancements that we've got coming in hydraulics and I think some of the computer technologies that are out there, I think we're gonna be able to write Prescriptions, especially like I'm thinking about in your area, kind of out there in Belva, where you guys have topography yeah. and potholes. You know those those kinds of things where you go to the top of the hill and you can get more erosion at the top of the hill. Maybe you can change the angle on that on that disc just a little bit, and we can write a prescription to do that. And that's something I don't think we have. We're just starting to scratch the surface on, um, but it's going to be fun. It's yeah. going to be really fun. Yeah. So I'm looking forward to that.
2: And, and along with that, we have this ability to add or take away inputs on the go. And uh, that's huge for them areas. And, and when you treat a whole field like it's uh, the uh, the same field, that's exactly what Sarah had said. It's not. Uh, the variation is dramatic. So you, if, when you have the ability to either have it automatically adjust based on some mapping system or manually adjust, um, you can enhance the growth in areas which need that. and and, or you can adjust seeding rates so those things are getting more and more adapted to and availability to farmers. Um, They're not always got a perfect return on investment at this time but it's coming and and that's really what uh, we need to learn more of and why I'm so excited about all this technology development is because we're going to find somebody that can do a whole lot of research on something that can make farmers have a return on investment so we don't have to do all that testing out in the field ahead of time. Because uh, it's very expensive to make the change and that limits our ability to make the change, but having something that tests it and looks at it and shows the profitability of doing it will make it adapt much faster and and hopefully get out in the fields better.
1: And I, I think one of the things we're gonna have to think about too when we start thinking about return on investment and, and those kinds of things is sometimes, um, Sometimes it isn't always a cost savings sometimes it's a it's a more efficient use, and I think that's that's a hard thing to sometimes think about, especially um like with fertilizer, some of my fertilizer my variable rate fertilizer recommendations they don't always come back with less fertilizer, but what you're doing is in the spots where you're producing you know very little, you're not investing. And in the spots that maybe weren't that, that have the higher yield potential that maybe not, weren't getting the max the right amount or a limiting amount of fertilizer, you're maximizing that area now. And so um, it, it ends up being better crops and yet you're managing the fertilizer better, it's better for the environment and everybody, everybody wins. So, Mark, question for you. Um, what do you think the egg tech industry needs needs most going forward?
2: Well, I I always tend to focus back on the, you know there's there's just a large quantity of technology out there, and uh, we need a little bit of sorting out to try to figure out how we can put it into a true application. And uh, I, I listened to some folks from what was called Plug and Play last night, and 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 I've known of them for a while, and and I always relate back to uh, it took uh, probably fifty years for John Deere, Case, and Agco to come up with a solution to hydraulic input hoses where you could plug into the same thing without changing them on the end. So I think that's going to be the challenge. It's not going to be a lack of available technology, it's going to be how does it interface with each other? How do you share the information and and then what is the value of that information? So we have a lot of things uh, uh, both from a, a regulatory side and to a practical use side that will allow us to make the most use of all this and that will come down to how can I take data from one system and apply it to another and how to, who owns all that data and uh, then finding how to interpret the data to some logical return on investment. And, and, and again, it, it won't be the lack of desire. I mean everybody out there buys a new cell phone every two years, because they think it's going to garner them. It doesn't really do much more, has capacity <laughs> to do more, but we buy it anyway, cause we want the newest. So that I don't really think that'll be a problem other than, you know, cost wise for what we can afford. The problem will be is how that interface works and how we use all that I- information that we gather.
1: Yeah, it's uh, I I love the the analogy to the hydraulic hookups. I actually use that one pretty often myself because <laughs> it's so true. Um, but I do think that they're you know I understand that a lot of companies out there want to have their proprietary files for moving things around because they want to capture that you know their investment into their companies, and I get that. But there are times and places where we really do need to have some industry standards so we can easily send data back and forth. And that's getting to be a bigger issue with some of these cloud-based um, platforms like Climate or or John Deere's Ops Center or Slingshot. These are great platforms. I've had wonderful success sending um, prescriptions um, through these through these platforms, but sometimes they want things just tweaked a little bit. And so if we can Somehow from from an industry stand, standard, make sure that we're able to easily send that data back and forth. That would be good. Um, another interesting challenge that actually occurs with that from from a prescription writing standpoint is um, you know in, in North Dakota we have we have big fields, right? Huge fields. So when you map out a field, you end up with a lot of data in that field. The files are large and and so sending that data across can get to be kind of cumbersome at times. And then of course it depends upon what kind of detail you've got into that prescription as well. If you've got a field with a lot of variability, you know, a field that might require only 3 zones versus 7 zones or something like that, then then you can have a lot going on and the data gets to be even 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 bigger. And so we need to have ways that we can maintain the detail in the prescription and and handle that volume of data, and send it across those platforms. But I do think the cloud-based sending stand, um, the the cloud-based way of sending prescriptions actually is very effective, and it actually does help farmers a lot, a lot. Um, I think it's easier for the farmers rather than sending them on jump drives in the the old days. So it's kind of, it's definitely an interesting thing. Um, But one thing too that I've seen for the ag tech industry. Recently, I was um, visiting with people about um, adoption trends for precision agriculture across um, the United States. And there's a, a survey from CropLife America and Purdue University that they come out every year. Um, and in, in 2020, they had kind of an interesting um, paragraph in there about putting together data layers. Um. And, and and basically what that, that said is farmers really like their auto steer. They like their section control. They like the, the precision agriculture that they can get in and you push the button and they go, but it's the one where you actually have to digest and funnel through and turn the, and and work with the data layers to turn them into something. That's a big challenge. And they identified that as a huge issue, um, in the, in the industry, One of the things that's really interesting along that same lines is that precision agriculture adoption has by and far and away been much greater in the corn belt states than it has been in the wheat raising states. And in those corn belt states, oftentimes grid sampling has been the foundation versus zone sampling. While in grid sampling, it really is the soil sampling that determines the variability and you don't have to put together data layers to create that you do that on the backside. Whereas in zones, you need to really interpolate that data up front and make sure that it's done correctly, because that is the framework for every decision that you make going forward. Well, in the 2021 crop life survey, I found a very interesting stat that it looked like in there, the grid sampling was starting to drop off a little bit. And a few people were starting to take a look at zones. But a few people were actually going back to the old-fashioned composite sampling, but they were citing frustrations that it was hard to create zones. So where I'm going with this soapbox, pardon me, but is that we really do need to have, um, I think, some people in the industry learning how to really work to put that together so that we know what that data means and how we really do identify variability in the field from data. That's that's one of the big needs that I see for the industry. And
2: I I think you're identifying really a key component. Uh, um, We need for an ag tech company to really get rolling and and to be successful. I think it needs to have somewhat of a three focus approach. And the first one would be obviously developing, designing something that brings value. Uh, The next thing would be is that uh, being uh, getting themselves exposed, getting out in trials, getting working with NDSU or the, the grand farm when it gets fully established. So farmers can have a visual. Uh, but the last part is the most important part. And, and that is uh, uh, giving the farmer some tools or bringing people to the field to teach and the education component because uh, uh, that's where farmers are going to have a lack. And uh, uh, that's why we adopt the stuff that is simple because um, we can understand it and, and we have a visual. So when you get into uh, you know layering graphs or... Or the style of soil sampling, um, farmers need to have that rationale, they need to be shown why it makes a difference. And 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 then they'll do a quick calculation. And I, and I do this myself. Um, if I do all that work, a grid sampling, and I lay my maps out, and it costs me, I'll make a number up, twenty dollars an acre, which is probably more than that. <laughs> I can simply add ten pounds of nitrogen, and meet the needs of everything. Well, mm-hmm. that's a logical approach but it's not a smart approach because the it is back to some places need more some need less some you're never going to get a return on if you apply that much nitrogen, you'll never get it back so so really there is logic in doing it differently but it's 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 a calculation that farmers are used to they're they're very used to well yeah i can change something but at the end i just up my application and i basically cover everything and i'm fine and i don't have to worry about it i and something i don't understand so, AgTech needs to put people out in the field and uh, they need to do the demonstrations and they need to bring the farmer along. And and that that takes time and investment, but uh, I think they'll be way more successful if they go down that road.
1: And that great point um that's a really great point because I think, you know, we we as farmers sometimes think about our traditional way of how we've always done it and let's face it, this is a big culture change for us. Um if my grandfather <laughs> <laughs> could could see the computer screens in these tractors i wonder what he would think you know and so to have to and i think a lot of farmers think about fixing stuff with a 916 wrench and sometimes well if you fix it with the 916 wrench and you hit it hard enough trust me you didn't fix it uh it just got worse cuz you broke the monitor um exactly. <laughs> but but so i i think that idea of bringing along education is just that's that's really important. It,
2: it is in in uh, you know in the early 90s we went to a really a, a one minimum tillage one pass system on our farm and and uh, the first couple of years it was it was painful um, we had such <laughs> a learning curve and and it was really it was simple things it was getting the the unit to float properly and to get the seeding depths accurate and it was something we all knew but it was uh, enough new that we had to really adjust so. Um, it's it's extremely easy to see too deep, and then lights are not mm-hmm. see deep enough. And and I, I can remember my dad; he was nervous. I mean, he was just, "Oh, you guys, you you know, you're <laughs> you're headed on a path." But if you ask him today, he said the reason we're still farming today is because of that change. Mm-hmm. It it really did make us substantially more efficient, even though there was the learning curve. So that that's that's the point I'm trying to make: is there is a substantial learning curve in this stuff, and it is up to the train, change from tradition. And to this day, my dad gets into combine and he doesn't kick in the auto steer, but he likes to combine. So
1: it's it's not a huge
2: factor because it's not a lot of efficiency because he's really good at it. He's 84 years old. He keeps the header full, doesn't maybe drive straight, but at the end of the day, he's still, you know, accomplishing mm-hmm. it. And, uh, you know, that's probably a, a more of a luxury to be able to kick the auto steer in the combine than it is total efficiency, especially combining wheat or, or something mm-hmm. like that. So... It's it's definitely a, um, a tradition likes to hold us back. Some education can break the tradition if we can show people how to do it.
1: Yeah, I think that's great. So, what kind of advice do you have to give for ag tech startups?
2: I, I'm back to these three items. Mm-hmm. You got to focus on everything. You can't if you're just going to bring a product out here and assume farmers will automatically adopt it. You're 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 probably chasing something that won't work long term. Um, so we need that support. We need be behind the support, especially if you're not. Kind of into what uh, the traditional place farmers buy. Um, you know, John Deere case and Agco can get away with a little bit, uh, but a new startup's going to have to uh, deliver a little bit more. Uh, expectations will be higher for them than they may be for um, a John Deere, for example.
1: Yeah, I definitely think it's important to um, to make sure that the the technology that you're coming up with is something that's very relevant to the farmer. If you ask yourself, how does this make this farmer money? Or how does this improve this farmer's life? How does this impact that farming operation? And you can answer those questions with your product. You'll probably do okay, but you got to be there to to walk alongside and help us understand how to make it work. A lot of fun. Yeah. So thanks for that. And yeah, um, yeah. And I
2: think Sarah and I've gotten to know each other over a little bit of time here. We're not like we know each other really well, but uh, we run, run across each things. other in meetings. So um, yeah, it's it's refreshing to be in a room where. Um, people are looking forward and uh, looking at the avenues to be able to, you know, kind of enhance not only the life, but uh, obviously work better with the environment and to potentially increase income for family farms. And I I work on that stuff every day. That's, that's
1: my goal. Yeah. And my passion is making sure that, you know, we produce the safest, most abundant, um, most affordable food to feed a hungry world. And, um, And, and uh, I just want to see agriculture in North Dakota, agriculture flourish into the future. So that's what I'm about. So, and I guess that gives us a lot in common. So there you Um, go. um,
0: (laughs) And that will do it for this month's episode of Emerging Grower. We thank Sarah and Mark for taking the time out of their day to discuss their perspectives regarding the future of AgTech. We also want to thank Grand Farm for energizing this podcast as well as thanking all of our Grand Farm partners. To learn more about Grand Farm, you can visit the website, which is www.grandfarm.com. You can expect newly virgin grower episodes to release on the third Thursday of each month on all audio platforms. We hope you all have a great rest of your day. Thank
2: you.